Hello, and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts, Hannah and Wayne. How's it going, guys? Hey, Mav. It's a regular show! <laughs> what, what does that mean? It means we are no longer preparing for, at, or recapping PCA for the first time in, like, a month. <laughs> so, which is which is weird because we haven't done like just a regular show with a regular old topic in a while but like you know we're gonna get back into it anyway how are you guys doing before we do that uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah see back to the regular show thing where nobody yeah. has an answer to the, to the literal question how are you doing and it's like oh, <laughs> it's been two years since anybody's been able to answer how are you doing recently. yeah so today I have a topic that I thought was interesting. I guess this is my topic, so I can't even pick on anybody else and say, what are we talking about? This is based on a concept that came up way back when we were doing the the Pour Some Sexy on It show. And because it was from that same show, I thought I'd invite back one of the guests from that. Uh, welcome back to the show, Corinne Matthews. Hey, Corinne. It's good to be here. <laughs> hey, Corinne. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were on before, we were talking about, you know, CW shows primarily but not mm-hmm. just cw shows we were talking about this whole thing that people do where if you're, you know a show doesn't seem like it can sell quite enough with just the concept of i don't know maybe people want to watch archie again so they're like what if archie fucks and that was like before some sexy on it that's like half of cw's um output these days is like just like let's just reboot nancy drew but they're sexy now but when we were working on that i realized it's not always just sexy sometimes it's gritty and by gritty i mean dark or you know <laughs> like not necessarily dark because you know riverdale how dark is riverdale it can be but it's also goofy like there's this thing where they're like let's take this thing that previously exists some intellectual property and then we'll add maybe a little bit of murder and call it you know adult and that becomes the new show either either officially because it's something like riverdale which is like the gritty version of archie or the remake of Battlestar Galactica, which is the gritty version of the original Battlestar Galactica. But also I'd say this counts when you're doing something that's not exactly a remake, but it's sort of a spiritual successor. And I'm thinking the magicians here, which is the gritty version of Harry Potter, things like that. So like Game of Thrones as opposed to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, as a gritty Lord of the Rings. I mean, not that Lord of the Rings isn't, you know, there's a lot of murder in Lord of the Rings, but Game (laughs) of Thrones is the let's up the murder. Let's remove plot armor from main characters and let's, you know, just throw in some incest. You know, why not? I mean, <laughs> there's incest in Lord of the Rings too. Yeah, incest but not as visibly. Yes. Yeah, like well, I guess, like well, we don't need to get into that. Oh, someone from Lord of the Rings fandom is going to come after me. <laughs> Whatever. But also, I feel like some of it's not just dark in the sense of like thematically dark. Like if we're talking movies or TV shows, we're talking darkest deck, which Riverdale totally was last time mm-hmm. I was watching. Yes, Riverdale is definitely dark, and <laughs> I guess what one of the first questions I had was, does being gritty mean that you're not funny anymore and i don't think it does because i think i mean i think riverdale is a clear example it's ridiculous right being absurd is part of the joy of riverdale right yeah i i think so i mean it's, it's a mix of that stuff and you know i mean so much of we've talked about before on our horror shows you know that sort of mix between horror and mm-hmm. comedy that comes out like you know the, the horror is there 
there and then comedies added to love and alpha horror a little bit yeah i mean to take a recent example that i've probably already mentioned because we've done shows on it is the new batman movie which i one review stuck with me before i went to watch it i should stop reading reviews which is like there is no joy in this <laughs> there are no jokes <laughs> and there aren't a lot of jokes and the jokes don't certainly don't undercut like emotional or tense moments like some films james guns the suicide squad whatever but well, there's a human amount of jokes it's not james guns yeah. the suicide squad is a comedy the batman is not a comedy yeah. it's well, there are jokes in the same way as i joke with people in just life yes but like that doesn't mean like no joke like 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 right. like a reduced amount of jokes from like either the mcu or james guns the suicide squad which is um, just so many like too many like i'm not gonna like let this go like too many yes, i like the suicide squad but again i'm comparing it to a lot more movies than you are so I, I, yeah i thought it was fine never have i hated anything so much when i should have liked it for reasons but that's not what we're talking about today but like, like like just because something has less jokes or like we aren't laughing every 10 minutes doesn't mean that there aren't jokes there I love that you can edit that down to something coherent but, <laughs> <laughs> yes even things like the batman which is just noir noir down the line super gritty darker grittier batman to mm-hmm. talk about the meme has jokes in it mm-hmm. well so well, this kind of makes me wonder when we're thinking about what makes something gritty is it about something that's being included in something that's there or some or like the absence of something else like joy or jokes that's see and that or is it just the murder right Mm because i'm not sure i'm not sure and that was kind of what i was wondering right because i so the first one that made me start really wondering about the joke thing was we had a comment from michael hancock who's been on the show who mentioned the idea of all-star batman and robin which is grim and gritty and not good i mean it's awful like but it's but i mean it's frank miller late stage frank miller where he's not really saying anything interesting he's just saying it's batman so he murders like for all the complaints about edgelord Zack snyder late stage frank miller's version of batman is so much worse wayne is that mm-hmm. fair it's yeah it's, it's yeah, oh, yeah yeah but that said it's clearly it's funny i'll i'll, I'll I'll grant that it's even funny, right? Like the like where he's wandering around saying I'm the goddamn Batman as a catchphrase. That's intended to be funny. And it happens to such an absurd extent that it uh, that like it actually eventually sort of just becomes funny. And then Michael also pointed out if you take All Star Bat and Robin and he said, look at something like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and then also Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. And he mentions Jane. So he mentions all the ones that are from that ilk, but I mean also Abraham Va- Lincoln Vampire Slayer. There's like lots of things like this right mm-hmm. do those count if they're like i mean pride and prejudice and zombies is again ridiculous in its absurdity it is absolutely funny that's kind of the point right like you're not supposed to go oh my god this is so dark and grim you're supposed to go it's hilarious she's killing zombies and i but i think it still counts as gritty <laughs> I don't know. Well, this is like, I guess, like a question about origins and reboots. Like, mm-hmm. because when you sent that to me, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, like, aesthetically, yes. And, but, like, if you go back to the source material of Pride and Prejudice, like, I know when it suits me, I've categorized it as a romance or, like, part of the romance history, like, genealogy, because so many people sure. are influenced by Austin. Mm-hmm. But if you read Pride,
Pride and Prejudice, and also like other Austin novels in particular, like Mansfield Park. Mm-hmm. They're not happy. I mean, like people get married, but like I get stressed reading Pride and Prejudice now. Like um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I-, I think I've talked about before, certainly like helped me see this. And other people have talked about like like Rachel Federer have talked about like the Gothic in Northanger Abbey and how that reflects back on other Jane Austen novels. But like if you're living the life of Elizabeth Bennet in a certain subject position in the 19th century, marriage is like your good option. Like marrying someone is your good option. And there's the horror of marrying someone like Mr. Collins who is the absolute worst. There's the (laughs) horror of marrying Mr. Wickham who will probably give you a venereal disease and plunge your family, like your family into ruin because he can't handle money and he's terrible. Although Austin didn't talk about some of that. There's the horror of just rejecting a proposal and never getting proposed to and being a burden on your parents. You know, like, you know, there's things that they don't shy away from like child abuse in in Mansfield Park. Like, 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 there's like all sorts of horrors permeating throughout Austin that I maybe I am more visible to because I read all the you know critical readings of Austin but it's not like a sweet like fun book I mean there are funny mm-hmm. moments Austin is extremely witty but it's scary too so it's scary so- what makes gritty I don't know. And there's also, you know, like someone else brought up like Once Upon a Time, which was interesting because it certainly is a, but we also had a comment too. There certainly is a reboot. Like like as uh, one of our commenters point out, it certainly is a gritty reboot of the Disney-fied fairy tale stories. But the source material in which they're drawing from to some degree mm-hmm. is also like really dark. Like yeah. uh, Peter Pan, they like sure. go all in <laughs> on that line from like Barry's original novel that's like, Peter killed the Lost Boys and he's a really dark and messed up dude. Like, yeah, like you know, the little mermaid doesn't end happily for example like sleeping beauty all tons of consent issues to say the least like Mm -hmm. so so i guess like my sort of like question at the end of this rant is like where does like the grit like what how does the source material need to be transformed for it to be considered a more gritty reboot what additions make it gritty so i have a couple of thoughts so the thing that made me comment on this blog post, and I guess why I'm here, is the Anne with an E example. And I think mm-hmm. part of it, especially based on all the examples that Hannah just gave, is the perhaps shift in tone and the setting of stakes. So like Anne of Green Gables is like, you know, super happy, super cheerful at the novel. But then they sort of pull out some of the darker things that are hinted at and under the surface in the adaptation. And even though Anne with an E isn't gritty as compared to like Game of Thrones. It's that sort of shift in expectations about like what Anne has gone through, about like what's going on behind the scenes that gives it, I think, a grittier feel. Yeah, I and I was so excited when I read your comment because Anne with an E is a, the first thing that came to my mind when Matt pitched the show idea. Uh, and actually, one of my students years ago wrote a short comparative analysis between like Anne with an E and Jane Eyre. And I was mm. like, you're totally right. Wait, you're the original totally Jane Eyre, right. yeah. the movie yeah. or the original the like the book? Yeah, okay. the book. She was like, she like found places where Anne with an E was like drawing from like, you know, Jane Eyre, especially with like the, you know, parts where Jane Eyre is a little girl. Those of you who have not read Jane Eyre, you know, all sorts of horrible <laughs> things happened to Jane, including child abuse and like being sent to a school where like a big majority of the student population dies from an outbreak. So like that, that just was really convincing and, and interesting to me because I, I also remember watching it at the end of the first season two like guys, you know, are bad news show up and I'm like, how dark is this show? 
show going to go? Like, what's going to happen? So, yeah, I think that was a great example. Yeah, it's just clean up. Uh, Meg Beth Rubish was had the um, Once Upon a Time comment where she said it's a great example because darker reboots of beloved fairy tales characters is in stories. I believe having Little Red Riding Hood actually turning into the wolf and killing her former lover, Snow White, Snow White of all people, killing the evil queen's mother. Hell, even the queen herself literally ripping hearts out and crushing them, thus killing the person and just having a vault of hearts. This show definitely is a great example. I could go on with more, but these are the are the ones off the top of my off, off the top of my mind. And then you know, Jim Roberts went and went back and forth with her a couple of times. I think it's also a good example. But uh, Hannah, what you were just saying when you actually, I think this Corinne, you, you brought it too. Like this, there's the source material mm-hmm. which is dark, Disney-fied to light. But I once upon a time isn't adapting grim fairy tales. It is explicitly adapting Disney fairy mm-hmm. tales to the point that they're they are dressed in trademark Disney outfits. Like the Snow Queen doesn't show up. Elsa shows up. Like it is a very clear and mm. intentional well, move to do that. And the different take on that sort of thing. I mean, there was the, the comic series Fables that did essentially the same thing. I saw yeah. a high school production of Into the Woods last night, which does very much the same thing. Kind of taking this stuff back to its roots and, and looking at the darker aspects of it. I don't know what thing other than those comparisons. And the fairy tales in particular is yet that they have been Disney-fied. I don't know that they've gotten grittier. And that maybe that's a matter of adaptation. You know, the Disneyfied versions of the old old tales are adaptations, but you know, whitewashed mm-hmm. adaptations. But they're the ones that you know, certainly our generation, everyone from the 20th century, know. Right. When you see these darker takes without knowing the originals, you know, it feels you know, darker, grittier, or whatever. But mm-hmm. compared to the originals, eh, maybe not. So okay, yeah, because the fairy tales start out with dark, they get Disneyfied into lighter. What about things that start light? And I mean, so I used as an example just because I saw the trailer come out recently, the upcoming reboot of Chippendale Rescue Rangers, mm-hmm. which is just like a, it is a Disney produced, so therefore canon or validated, but it, it very much is a Chippendale are now burn up, washed, burn out, washed up stars. And they're, you know, they're being self-aware. <sighs> I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, this again, it brings me back to Riverdale. Wayne, you and I liked it from the very beginning because mm-hmm. we saw that they were paying attention to what we always saw as the level underneath the surface level, Archie. Mm-hmm. So what, I mean, I what's that term gritty? I mean, in comic, it's become cliche to talk about the grim and gritty era of, of comic you know, kind of starting in the 80s and 90s, 80s, yeah. early 90s. Now. Yeah, and it goes back further than that, certainly. But I mean, people, you know, outsiders of the comics industry, and this certainly changed over the years. But you know, the image of Batman was very much the TV show for so many people for so many years. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was a silly camp kind of thing. And certainly Batman in the 50s and early 60s, the stuff that was based on was kind of ridiculous, silly camp stuff. And even by the time the TV series was done, that was changing in the comics. We were starting to see you know, a darker Batman. We we're starting to see the Neil Adams Batman. and just Neil Adams, a, who died this week as we yeah, record. Adams. Yeah, And you know, so we started seeing that. And so Batman stories and comics in general were getting darker, you know, like uh, Green arrows new partner speedy was a heroin addict in 1972 and that sort of thing so there's this image of silly camp batman and then frank miller comes along and does dark knight suddenly it's grim and gritty well but batman was killing people in his first appearance in detect comics Mm -hmm. so these cycles you know there's the public perception of something what people think something is uh and you you can go back to that but yeah comic i I think of miracle man the alan moore thing from the 
80s, which uh, without going into a far too long explanation, Earth Man is based on a British comic uh, called Marvel Man of the 1950s that was a continuation of the Captain Marvel Shazam of the 1940s, a convoluted way. And they were just silly, fun, goofy kid stories. And Alan Moore brought that character back and kept all those silly, fun kid stories as part of the history, but completely set it on its head. And that was a dark, violent, scary series. Mm-hmm. With lots of and murder, lots of rape, it, lots of lo- like... Yes. Or just absolute decimation of the planet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And really well done. And, but that was very definitely a case of taking something that in its original conception was innocent kids book and looking at a different aspect of that. And that's kind of how Alan Moore made his name in the 80s. But that's among other things. And you know, Marvel was doing you know, Frank Miller's Daredevil at that point, Wolverine miniseries where we see him killing people. It's not like it came out of the blue, but then it just became this fad that was just seen to color everything that was coming out in superhero comics at that point. That, and, and it lingered. You know, they, I'd make the case that we talk about the late 80s, early 90s, but it, the DC and the first decade of the 2000s, we have you know, rape and murder and, and all this stuff going on with these formerly super friends. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow that, that confusion of making something more violent or sexual or dangerous, making it m- more adult, on some level it feels more puerile to me. It's sort of that 13-year-old's view of what sex and violence is. And ain't yeah. Cool. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's why I said sprinkle or pour some, you know, pour some gradient, yeah. right? Because I, I, my problem, the reason I started wondering about this is my, is I have a problem with it, right? Like there are a lot of things that I think qualify as gritty that I like. It becomes yeah. problematic and weird for me when grittiness is the entire point. I, when, when I first met Corinne and Ayani, I don't remember which one of you I sent it to. I, hopefully you both saw it. They were working on this reboot of the Powerpuff Girls. It was supposed to be a thing that that the CW was getting. They were going to do. We're going to we're going to bring back Powerpuff Girls, and they'd signed Chloe Bennett of Shield fame. And as the star and some other people, I think uh, Duff Cameron, I don't remember who the third woman they signed where it was, but the three of them were going to play grown up versions of the Powerpuff Girls and they got Diablo Cody to write the script. And it's like, this is a world where in their twenties, the the Powerpuff Girls are into sex and Coke and who, and I'm just like, and I read it. So I read the script. It's awful. It is just bad. And I like Diablo Cody. It is bad. It is just like foul for the, not in any, interesting way it's like uh you know bubbles fucks now well she's 22 in this so sure of Mm. course she does like i I don't i don't understand but like that's the joke of it all and apparently they you know they made a pilot and they ordered to series but then they showed the pilot to people and it went over like a lead balloon like no one liked it so they're retooling it now and chloe bennett's since left the project and so who knows if it will ever see the light of day but I've not seen it. I've only read it. And just in reading it, I went something, you know, something has gone wrong that this got this far. Like Mm -hmm. they filmed this. How? I don't remember. Did I send it to you or did I send it to Tiani? Send it to the Twitter account for our okay. podcast, which we both look at. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, just, so this idea of so the reason this topic was super interesting to me, particularly in concert with the like pour some sexy on it, is like when you think about this is children's literature scholar Corinne making an appearance. <laughs> when you think about uh, the show. <laughs> thank you. Uh, when you think about like the construction of childhood innocence, which we often think of culturally as like sort of 
the defining characteristic of childhood. Mm-hmm. Innocence is an empty category. Innocence is always defined by its opposite. And sort of the three opposites that you can think of in response to innocence are uh, experience, knowledge, and guilt. And sort of the two big things that sort of cause that shift from childhood to adulthood and often is what is going on and being dealt with in young adult literature are sex and violence. And Mm -hmm. this sort of like pouring some gritty on it, I think, results in like this combination of some combination of pouring sex and violence on it. And I think one of the reasons that often gets uncomfortable for me is sort of the most gritty thing you can do is include sexual assault in your narrative. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. thinking like especially about Game of Thrones in this, which I didn't watch because that's actually not my cup of tea at all. But like that, I don't it's almost defined because it is the opposite of childhood and childhood innocence. And when we think about these child or children's texts becoming for adults, it's like, oh, we got to add sex and violence. Like that's got to be it. Does it ever backfire? Right. Because I'm thinking, I mean, I think it does. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm thinking about like the I, when I said it, I was thinking about things like the Powerpuff Girls that I just mentioned. But mm-hmm. now I'm thinking about Game of Thrones. Right. I did a whole I did a whole blog rant that eventually became part of a presentation I did somewhere, maybe at Mount Aloysius. I don't remember that w- that had to do with the the backlash Game of Thrones got in the final season. There were a lot of reasons to do backlash, and it's not going to be the one that Hannah hates. There was this backlash about people being very upset by the scene where Arya loses her virginity. Yeah. And they're like, well, because she's 14. And I'm like, no, she's the character is like 19 at this point. The actress is like 23. You know, yes, I get that you watched her grow up, but you watched her grow up she's a grown woman and on on this show that is absolutely predicated on the notion that everyone here is having sex all the time and murdering all the time and you've seen her kill a thousand people you know on the last episode so like now she gets to get some and the fact yeah and the fact that hers was (laughs) consensual right right it was yeah there's no there's no rape or anything here he goes and has sex with the boy that she's liked since season two and you know it's fine does the fact that you know i don't know if it's a guilt versus an experience thing there was like this rejection of it you know even though it's a gritty show right like the Mm -hmm. i i don't know how else to look at game of thrones other than it's the gritty is that going to be exclusive to gritty game of thrones though because i'm thinking Bridgerton if they and I know you don't believe they're going to get eight seasons but I'm just saying season two is the most popular thing ever so, so, so. <laughs> so, so maybe yeah. like yeah. but like we you know mm-hmm. we we see like like how the Bridgerton book series works and then they're but they're, they're by no means gritty though I actually think that maybe the shows are slightly more gritty because they they actually take consequences there's also but there's but that's why that's why no like, i mean there's but in the books too like oh yeah sure I, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's why i meant comparing, like, to, like, comparing to the book i thought you meant yeah. to, to just like television yes no oh, sure. no sure. so but like you know each sibling gets a book and so like cute little hyacinth eventually like grows up and has her own like sexy story so i you know i honestly think as you were talking about game of thrones i think game of thrones the show is a gritty adaptation of the books <laughs> 
because I, I also books. books Wayne has, I guess, and you, you so you probably I, the only two, only the two of you, right? No, I haven't read. I have oh, read. Okay, so, so it's just I've, yeah. I've read. Wait, wait Game, Game but, of Thrones. I have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm like Bridgerton. I'm sorry. I like, guess. No, it, you know, Game of Thrones, Bridgerton. Like, what's the difference, really? But like the books are a lot less. Well, one that as I always complain, like they they add more rape to the show, which is why I don't mm-hmm. watch parts mm-hmm. of the show because they turn consensual encounters into rape. They turn characters who hate violence against women into characters who enact violence against women they like mm-hmm. are very nihilistic and like uh, the end of the show is basically like there is no hope here no one can be happy no <laughs> one can get married like not that you know marriage is the only way to be happy but it's very important to like the world of the show with like alliances and also like there are love stories throughout like it's just very nihilistic and dark and like also aesthetically dark so you can't see anything uh, to to echo literally every person on the internet's problems with the like uh long night episode like i i think there's all there might be like i think that gritty too might just be like like i don't want to say a vibe because i'm not sure <laughs> what that word means but like but like you, you there i think that like there are things that tackle like difficult subject matter that i wouldn't necessarily call gritty or are like hopeless and yet like like i i think that like like i don't i i know that like the dark knight series by christopher nolan is a <laughs> darker grittier batman to make that joke again but mm-hmm. there is hope embedded in the dark knight which is probably the darkest of those movies like he, he you know he includes the sentimental fairy scene mm-hmm. for example uh like game of thrones d- does not do that i don't know i, I, I think it, it might also be like some de- yeah does gritty mean hopeless and i don't know i wasn't thinking about that tone i mean like the i think that the you know like the Sny- the snyder movies like we the one one of the people on my panel like did a whole breakdown of you know one reason to critique the Snyderverse is like a very like because it leans into like Ayn Randian like individualist like hopelessness okay so that's interesting right and uh, we have this thing in geek media and I'm being very specific here when uh you know superhero and science fiction and fantasy implied media that those specific genres right where we've decided that gritty is sort of an aesthetic that where I, I don't know that this carries over to things like things like Anne with an E or Bridgerton. And I'm not even positive it fits in all the fantasy stuff because I don't know if it fits entirely with Game of Thrones. But I'm thinking about stuff like the Snyderverse, stuff like uh, Nolan's verse or even the Bat Knight, the, the Batman uh, Dark Knight stuff in the comics all the image stuff where gritty becomes just an aesthetic that we sort of have derided in a way as time's going on. Like there's been, there's the fans of it. There's the Snyder bros where, Oh, this is awesome. I'm going to do some push-ups and then I'm going to watch you know, the justice league series. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, Like that's like the whole thing. Right. As opposed to uh, the original Watchmen or even the TV series. Right. Which I think are both gritty, but like get a pass because they're good. But I don't think <laughs> I don't think that the goodness should be the past. Right. Like, I think that, like, sometimes something's good and sometimes it's not. And I find the Snyder stuff or I shouldn't say all the Snyder stuff because I actually like some Zack Snyder. I like his 300. I think it's really good. In fact, I might enjoy it more than I enjoy the graphic novel. I like I like Sucker Punch, whereas I realized a lot of people didn't. I found his Batman and Superman movies empty and meaningless as a choice. But 
I don't think it's just because they're gritty. Because like, well, I, I did really if, like gritty Watchmen. If, if well, if, if the TV gritty, show. gritty, the the second violent, or however we're defining gritty, that's mm-hmm. the primary raison d'etre. Mm-hmm. Then I think it's a problem. That was not the reason Alan Moore did Watchmen. There's so much right. else going on in Watchmen, and that was true of the HBO series as well. Mm-hmm. There were bigger points. There were big plot things. There were bigger character arcs, and violence and sex is a part of that world. But it didn't seem to be the oh look how sexy and violent we're being. Mm-hmm. And when it just becomes the point of the entire thing, I don't know that it has a point. <laughs> well, so my I used one example that I think fits really well in the blog, right? I hate the boys graphic novel. It mm-hmm. is crap. OK, sorry if you enjoy it. I've had people for years trying to get me to like write about it. It's like, oh, I've had several people who are like, oh, you should read mm-hmm. this. And here's the secret. I have read it. It's crap. It's stupid. And it's not even stupid in a way <laughs> where I have anything interesting to say about it. It was just boring and dumb. Yes, here's a bunch of guys. They kill people. I've seen it. Yeah, the, I, I, just, I just found it remarkably joyless. And Joy, yeah. Joyless and mean spirited. Yeah, for for and, and if you like it, good on you. But yeah. I saw nothing of value to even talk about. And yet I think the Amazon TV series is brilliant. It's really good. It's the same basic story, the same source material. I think in the adaptation, they made something. I mean, They were trying to do something interesting in the graphic novel. I just thought they failed. Whereas the TV series is where is the line between patriotism and fascism? Where is the line where you just become a Nazi? What does it mean to be performatively, you know, to virtue signal goodness? Like all of this is like what the boys is. And it comes across really well for me as a TV show. And I don't think, you know, it's the exact same amount of murder. It's the exact same amount of uh, it's the same, roughly the same amount of sex. So it's not just the sex and murder that made me feel one way or the other. It's the execution. Like sometimes sometimes writing can just be bad or good. And I think that I, th- I think that the way literary criticism is today, we sort of try to we do a lot of, well, you know, here's the interesting thing that we're trying to do. Here's the statement we're trying to make. And we do analysis that way. But I think sometimes it's just something might be bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think that the boys T the boys TV show is good. Whereas I found the, I found the book bad. And I think, you know, like Hannah, like I, I don't think I'm trying to think there's examples. Okay. Suicide squad, as you pointed out, you don't like, but would you say it's badly done or is it just like that? You don't like, cause I, I think a lot of it's badly done. Yeah. Okay. okay. See, I like, see like, this is not the point of this episode. No. But like, I, I think that like, I think the reason why I don't like it is not because I think like, I think the overall like plot could have been interesting, but I think, that like any meaningful critique that was embedded in that story critique that I would have liked to have like seen was undermined by mostly but not all the jokes but I well that's what I'm getting at you don't like that's what I'm saying it's like like, it's not like you're against the message it's trying to make you just don't you just think it's bad and I feel the same thing way about the boys comic book like I would love it if I could have the interesting critique on fascism which I feel like I can do on the TV show but I thought the comic was bad and I think that's what so that's what I, I think you're feel I think you feel the same way about the suicides like i don't think you think that yeah. the message is stupid i think you think the, sh- the movie was stupid so i have one i have a fake question because i it just popped into my head uh, mm-hmm. and then i have a real question about okay. children's literature which might be immediately struck yeah. down but because i don't know much about it but the first question is wait a minute does all this mean that 50 shades of gray is just a gritty version of twilight yes <laughs> great we solved that don't need to linger that's just <laughs> what was in my head uh got it out great and 
the second, I, like, I, you know, I wonder how much of this conversation is related to, like, the dystopian, like, turn in, like, children, young adults literature that, mm-hmm. like, happened with yeah. the Hunger, Ga- Hunger Games and then, Divergent. like, all the, all, yeah, mm-hmm. all the ripoffs. Because I, I remember, like, when Divergent came out and the movies were, like, I believe the books, <laughs> never read them, so I can't speak to them, but I, I believe I will say they're bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like you know it is is like this like is this like part of that conversation the sort of like you know hunger games like gritty like darker children's lit that like was the thing that hollywood decided was it for them for like 10 years so, okay, like, I, I think maybe a little bit there was a recent conversation on twitter and i don't remember who was having it about this sort of like Dy- the dystopian takes on fairy tales that are fairly common in YA at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, an important distinction between children's literature and young adult literature, which is in some ways a constructed difference, but also in some ways real. But like you get to have sort of darker, bigger stakes in YA. But like there are tons of dystopian takes on Alice in Wonderland. There are mm-hmm. fewer dystopian takes on Peter Pan, but part of that is because Peter is already much darker and weirder and grosser, to be honest, than people realize it was. But I think particularly when we're thinking about the sort of YA dystopian trend of like, really, the Hunger Games kind of kicked off. But I think one of the big dystopian novels, and I think this is maybe something interesting that I would not necessarily describe as gritty, but is one of the first big dystopian books is The Giver. Uh, oh, yeah. Giver. But then when we get to The Hunger Games, that's much, much more gritty. But that also was making a sort of legitimate critique of something. But then when you go a step further to something like Divergent, it is just sort of trying to take that tone and aesthetic. But the stakes are stupid. So the critique is empty and it doesn't have the same sort of, I don't know, heft to it. And like thinking about like y'all's conversation on like the boys and things like that. I think this question of like whether the critique holds weight makes a difference in whether it's successful as like a gritty film that has our our media that like is actually doing something versus is just sort of like an empty aesthetic. That question is exactly what I'm wondering. And I'm wondering if maybe it doesn't, right? Like I'm wondering if maybe we're more willing to engage with the question if we buy into the aesthetic, right? So like to pick Suicide Squad is is an example uh, or the Suicide Squad, which Hannah didn't like, but, and it didn't do great. It did Nah, all right, right. I it's like it. Gave it like a ninety on Rotten Tomatoes, which yeah. is like we all know Rotten Tomatoes is BS. But, but like you gave that movie a high score in Eternals, like forties. Get out of town. Well, anyway, uh, yeah. But well, I mean, and that goes into into the question of because I don't, I like them about equally. I don't hate one and and like the other. I'm I actually thought both Eternals, I mean, Eternals, I think get got way too much hate, and I thought Suicide Squad, the Suicide Squad, got way too much love. I thought they were both above average. <laughs> that's how, that's where I felt with both of them. I found problems with both of them, and I enjoyed both parts of both of them. And I'm, you know, this is a world that also includes Morbius. Okay, so <laughs> so like I don't think it's fair to do that. Anyway, my point being, like, I know Hannah disliked Suicide, The Suicide Squad. And fuck you with the naming convention, James. <laughs> All right, <laughs> um, <laughs> Hannah disliked The Suicide Squad, and I knew you'd want to like it, and I knew, 
but I, and watching it, I was like, I knew you would not, you would not like it. Similarly, I knew that uh, you enjoyed with the same character, uh, the Harley Quinn movie or the Birds of Prey movie or the, you know, Birds yeah. of Prey or the Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. <laughs> like, uh, I, that movie also failed. And I think that, uh, the storyline on that was it failed because get woke, grow broke, which was not really the case, right? It, it like, I think that movie failed by taking aesthetic deviations that made people not pay as much attention to it as they probably should. Because sometimes I think that getting people in the door with an aesthetic they like can really do something, right? Like maybe you do something with it. Maybe you don't, but like, I do think that matters. I just, I think that if I think that when Zack Snyder makes really pretty movies and I think that if you can have a substantive message in a Zack Snyder movie, I think that would be great. It's just that he's not prepared to do it on his own. But I know he's trying. Like, if you actually listen to Snyder talk, the swings he's trying to take are really interesting. I just don't think he's capable of doing of telling those stories by himself. But I, 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 I do think he's trying. I, I want to. I, it's interesting that like most of like what are gritty in this conversation, mm-hmm. like part of what what we've talked about with gritty is an aesthetic and dark, but also like sex and violence. Mm-hmm. And I can't get over the fact that I just remembered that the D- Disney remade Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And also like all the like other adaptations, I, I think of Alice in Wonderland, like, like there's the series where Alice returns to Wonderland and she gets involved in a battle for Wonderland. There is a, I mean, I literally just bought a board game with somewhat, but not quite of a, a little darker aesthetic, but it's still very colorful where like you're battling to bring the madness back to Wonderland and like there is a battle sequence involved like it sounds fun but it is great fun mm-hmm. it does it takes up all of the room in my living room but my point in listing all these out is that like there there seems to be like a battle in bed in Alice in Wonderland and I mean there, you know there's things like the chess match and in like the original Alice in Wonderland books but like there's not like like the reason I didn't like Alice in Wonderland as a kid was there wasn't like some overarching plot it was just like a series of like what I now see as like games and like little like episodes <laughs> games opium fever yeah. dreams sure whichever yeah, you know and like i don't and, and i and, and actually once once upon a time had a spin-off series of alice in wonderland which also featured jafar played by <laughs> i remember that i i just i you know it, it's, it's interesting to me that like which I, I guess like that that once upon a time like there there is a certainly a battle of good and evil although like it's different than some of the other ones but you know i and it, it's just it's strange to me that like it seems like violence is the well maybe not but like is is there more than like violence being added to something i was gonna ask that too is grittiness just violence and sex because i like to like like, and with an e it's been a minute since i watched it but i don't remember it being that sexy well i think Anne's too young well so how old is she i've never watched the show but the actress looks to be a and i don't know i've not watched the show i've only seen stills when i was doing the blog because hannah told me to mention it right but the actress looked to be of teenage years of you know old enough to do a in a different show to do a sexy (laughs) plot but i don't know i've not seen it so so my i'm a little bit hazy on the memories but they do cover Anne over a number of seasons and i think she's about 10 or 12 and she's maybe 18 or so by the end so they're definitely leaning a lot more into like the romantic plot lines at the end but they are leaning into them as romance plot lines rather than sexy time plot lines I think the stuff that feels so a a lot of the reason that a lot of children's literature people really disliked Anne with an E is because they said it was too dark and that's specifically 
specifically in uh, relation to the first season in which they were pretty explicit about Anne having going through like a child abuse and a lot of things that like she likely would have gone through as someone going through like living life as an orphan until the Cuthberts adopted her. And there's also, oh, I remember part of the reason it made people uncomfortable is because Anne is still quite young, but she knows a lot about sex, which Mm. then she shares with like the girls at school, which then makes everyone very upset. But they're upset at Anne for quote unquote corrupting their children. But Matthew uh, and sort of adoptive father figure. It's like, why aren't we worried about Anne and why she knows this at this Mm. age? So but that made people uncomfortable who Mm. like the version of Anne that's all like sunshine and rainbows and happiness because they don't like thinking about Anne as potentially being sexually abused. So it looks like Amy Beth McNulty was 16 when they started filming the show. But you're saying she was playing a character younger than that. Yeah, she was definitely playing a character younger than that. Maybe 13 or 14. I don't remember exactly. But well, that that leads back to our we had our episode all about the 20 something teen problem, right? (laughs) Which we Mm -hmm. did, did quite a while ago where you create some amount of weirdness when you make the concession of just changing characters ages in order you know game of thrones has this problem right like they have characters who were supposed to be in shocking sexual situations in the book because they were supposed to be 12 and then like but if she's 16 eh, you know maybe a little different plays a little different Mm -hmm. that's the grossest part of the books probably anyway but also like you know you mentioned uh little women in the in your blog comment and i it got me thinking like i i I thought about little women too i was like no but it doesn't have like the same aesthetic as Anne with an e probably but i then like started wondering like didn't didn't like alcott perhaps even like make little women like a bit grittier because like little women was originally like the you know the first like like what's now published as little women if i am remembering my little women history correctly is like their the original book was like when they were younger and then there and then like there there was a sec like sh- there was a second volume because readers wanted more and so the second volume is where things like spoiler alert beth dies and spoiler like- alert <laughs> for little women did you yes. not watch the friends episode which is one of the still delightful yeah. friends where like joey finds out beth dies and has to put the book in the freezer like it's you know it's a thing and like and even worse like i i've all i found whenever i was a kid reading it that like joe marrying like the professor was the most depressing thing in the world i don't know what that I just, re- about I, just I just refuse to use our spoiler alert sound effect for a book that's 150 years old that's <laughs> I, just no <laughs> you can do what you want i will, i will live by my principles and Fair enough. Spoiler: <laughs> Eve eats the apple. <laughs> but you know, there there is something like that new that the newest adaptation of Little Women added, but it's not as grimy grim as Anne with an E necessarily, and it's certainly not Game of Thrones. So, right. it, it, yeah, is there you know some grittiness there? So the thing that made me think about Little Women a is first of all, I taught Anne and and Anne of Green Gables and Anne with an E the year that Little Women came out, and so a bunch of my students wrote papers comparing them but also be i'm and i'm perfectly willing to like admit that little women isn't especially gritty but the mm. particular visual differences between the mm. like days of childhood and adult days i think the director referred to it like filming it in like quote the golden light of childhood i think that contrast is what made me think of like 
the actual like visual aesthetic of what makes a film yeah. or a media properly gritty. Another mm-hmm. thing that I've kind of been thinking about in the context of like the visual aesthetic is uh, the Wheel of Time series on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed, but also have some fundamental problems with the book series. But there was some of the critiques of the Wheel of Time adaptation uh, that I will actually entertain are that it wasn't gritty looking enough because everything was too clean and it was too bright and colorful. So it just didn't feel gritty, even as they were sort of trying to tackle gritty thematic things. That that weirdly reminds me of Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley. And I remember reading an interview and then being like, I have purposely made this movie gritty, like, like, like not gritty, exactly, but like dirty. Like you see pigs, you see dirt. Mm-hmm. Like like they are they are in the milieu of it all. Like yeah, it's not like so sparkly. Yeah. That might be a lot of it though, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to pick on Snyder again, is Snyder gritty or is he just use a lot of really muted color tones? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, I mean, and I don't mean that. I mean, I said pick on him, but actually, I mean that as a positive almost, right? Like, like it doesn't because I don't think it's fair to just say gritty is sex. You know, sex happens. Mm-hmm. Like we wouldn't say that Bridgerton is gritty just because there's sex in it because we expect there to be sex in romance novels, right? Like we mm-hmm. wouldn't say that we wouldn't say that. Oh, look at that! It's gritty porn. No, porn just has sex in it, right? And I don't think it's gritty just because there's murder. The other thing I can think of is you know you add some swearing at least in America where you know where where we for a long time had this you know what are the FCC seven day, dirty words like sort of feeling on how do we decide what you know whether something is child appropriate or not I think that's going away but now I'm thinking about it is it just purely the aesthetic right is it does the Batman look gritty because it's shot like seven and if you kept the story exactly the same but like shot it like the Adam West Batman does it seem more vibrant right and someone has done a a YouTube deep fake putting Adam West in that movie so look it up it's It's amazing yeah it's amazing that's exactly what made me think about it right and does it feel less gritty same thing if we you know if we color you know I don't know like and with an E looks gritty in the pictures because it looks a little too real to be the hearty thing that like I want Anne of Green Gables to be in, in comics and there was the animated version of this as well of Invincible you know which is yes. brightly colored superhero bright primary colors and a whole lot of violence and gore well, to the point where, okay, spoilers for Invincible, <laughs> which is actually new. So fine. Yeah, Invincible is yeah. re- really good. And there's a yeah. point where Invincible turns dark in, you know, very early. On. I'm going to not spoiler it, but very early on in either the animated version or the original comic version, Invincible is very much not the comic you are led to believe it is yeah. for the, you know, for 80% of the first story arc and then it turns like on it's on the first episode of the Amazon series right yeah it, and it takes, takes a little um, longer to get there in the comic yeah and so in the Amazon series you're watching I don't know I'm going to say the episodes an hour long I'm not I don't actually remember yeah. but if it's an hour long you hit that 45 minute l- mark and then you're you'll be like holy shit what am I watching this that <laughs> that came out of nowhere and I 
And maybe it's just because of the color palette, right? (laughs) And I don't know if that really is it, right? Like, like it feels weird if Mickey Mouse swears because he looks like Mickey Mouse. So is that part of it? Have we resolved nothing? Yeah, I know. know, I'm sorry. I stole your line, Wayne. Yeah, no, that's okay. We we need to make this podcast more gritty. Murder? (laughs) I mean, we already swear. Any of you? No. We we should we should not give into the nihilism of. The Game of Thrones TV show. Mm. We should have happy endings. I don't know. I guess so, so much a part of me thinks this is taking something that is perceived as more innocent or more basic or or more G or PG and just adding those elements to get the R rating. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there are things like, I mean, Game of Thrones in any of its iterations yes. is pretty dark gritty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, from, from the beginning. So I don't know that any more gritty got poured on it that than was already there. They may have rearranged some of the grit. Well, no, so- I, I, I there, there is a fundamental difference between creating a piece of media that has, I mean, I'm not saying it's g- good, but like there, mm-hmm. there's still a fundamental difference between creating a piece of media that has rape in it, but primarily is pointing out violence against women is bad yeah. and then yeah. creating yeah. a piece of media that glorifies it, yeah. like, yeah. which I don't know if that's well, great, but, but it's it's yeah. it can be yeah. a really cheap way I think to mm-hmm. make something feel gritty yeah. particularly mm-hmm. when you have a lot of like, you know, fridged women mm-hmm. just to make your property feel gritty that's very right. irritating to me yes right I, well but that's the question right is it that's why is grittiness just the aesthetic right like is so or is it the intent or what because when you say something like you know did game of thrones become grittier moving from novel to from novel to tv is it grittier because there's more rape and less just sex is that what's gritty or is it that we're seeing it instead of reading about it is it i i don't you know, I, is it lack of consequence? What is the gritty part? And this, I don't know. This conversation has convinced me that part of it, they're not all, I think there's like, I don't know if I would call it gritty, but there, there's something going on here in some of these properties, not all, where I think there there is some underlying, I don't want to call it intellectual dishonesty, though, though may, maybe um, for some of like, like the whole like gritty vibe either covers up for a lack of and having something to say, like divergent to take a, <laughs> to take that okay. very easy example that's on 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 that we talked about now or it's a way to add some like unearned weight to your gross little worldview and like make it seem very serious and you must take me very seriously because i am a grim person and this is the grim world and this is how the world is. and it's like that's not like that's not like how everything is like yeah. i think Anne with an e is is a very good show like i was surprised mm. by it because i grew up with a certain version of green gables but like that's that that's different so that's why i'm saying like it, it's different than some of these things but like i have a question then Hannah. Yeah. is deadpool gritty tv the, the, the movies no okay no i don't think so i i think it's to playful be gritty although because a lot of murder a lot of sex yeah speaking of you know (laughs) speaking of fridge women deadpool too yeah but but like i wouldn't even say like the suicide squad is gritty which is a lot of murder and okay maybe not a lot of sex some potential sex perhaps no the suicide squad oh there's the harley quinn oh there's definitely a lot of well not a lot i mean like minute for minute but i mean she's got a 
very clear yes. sex scene. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember they were together, but I couldn't mm-hmm. remember if they had sex before she killed him. Anyway, I don't care about spoilers for the Suicide Squad. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. But yeah, so so like there is there is sex and violence in the Suicide Squad. There's also sex in you know Bridgerton and and but that doesn't make it gritty. I don't know. Okay. I, I I just it's, I think it's I think it's hard to say. So I'm gonna go back to my original thought in it's a vibe because you can't explain it but you can feel it (laughs) i wonder so there's a lot of i think building on that maybe a lot of unsuccessful gritty feeling things but if we're thinking of like a successful gritty property it seems to me like it has to have a combination of like tone the visual aesthetic like it's it has to be dark to some extent stakes and also sort of like a shift in expectations whether that's in like a literal adaptation like of Anne of Green Gables or in a sort of figurative adaptation from uh, like the magicians mm-hmm. but like it has to be a combination of all of those things together for it to work and not just be like I don't know fake gritty mm-hmm. I think the expectation is definitely a part of that well, like magicians I think works definitely magicians is, is I think magicians is absolutely gritty and I think it absolutely works I, I thought it was a brilliant show through and through so I don't know who else has seen it <laughs> it's weird. I read the first book of that series um, I, I was unable to finish the book it's another one where I thought the show was better uh, yeah. maybe i'll try the book again but like why i tried to read the books and i'm like hey, and that's why i never got past the first book in the series mm-hmm. I, I came away from it like okay i see what you're doing here but eh. that was it. that's exactly where i was and then i watched the show and i'm like oh absolutely perfect yes so i don't know i mean and uh, i mean there's a lot of stuff where i feel that way i know i'm supposed to be you know i'm supposed to be very studious and like you know literary and go oh the book's always better it's not like i i, mm-hmm. I hate the deadpool comic i did i hate it the boys comic i did not like the magician book oh. legally blonde is pretty much unreadable the, oh the book yeah <laughs> is it really yeah wow. i've never tried to read that one there's a lot of them oh. like oh this oh you crazy. know what you know what's gritty and terrible that just came out that we have not talked about at all what's that death on the nile oh really uh, like like over overproduced like overblown like well it, it's I, I thought it was like an attempt to be very like i don't know i, I have not it was, seen it yet i keep meaning I, to i could watch it at any point <laughs> I, I, like like they, they give Perot like a, a dark gritty like trauma inducing backstory about how he got his mustaches in the first 20 minutes. Really? Yes. <laughs> wow. I, I ask you stop making Agatha Christie adaptations. You don't understand them properly. He's and not the going things, to. And the things you understand are not the things you should be focusing on. I beg he's you. Not, he's not going to. He wants nothing more than to be this character. So. I know and I don't know why Disney is like green lighting another one when like Death on the Nile just absolutely bombed, and I understand. I don't COVID, think that, whatever, Well, I think I, th- I think it was COVID, and also you know the first one was terrible, and this one. No, I think a lot of I think <laughs> a lot of Death on the Nile bombing have to do with cannibalism and their and their inability to market it because of cannibalism. Oh, well, I understand <laughs> now. I understand. I I forgot that. Yes. yes. Um, <laughs> like, it's way too big of a side thing. If you don't, if you don't understand and you're listening, just maybe it's, that's another show. But yes, there were extenuating circumstances that I think I think Death on a Nile bombed because it was in it was an impossible movie to market. So. 
Also, Murder on the Orient Express was terrible, and this was worse. <laughs> so, anyway, Corinne, thanks for joining us. Yeah, <laughs> we, it's been fun. I'll <laughs> into a really weird place at the end. As I said at the beginning, thank you for putting up with me. <laughs> uh, tell people where they can find more about you. You can find me personally on Twitter at Corinne underscore Catherine, spelled C-O-R-I-N-E underscore K-A-T-H-R-Y-N. You can also find me and my co-host Ayani on the podcast Sex Love Literature, available wherever you listen to podcasts, and also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sex Love Lit, all one word. Mm-hmm. Awesome show. And Palindrome Hannah. What, what if you just all go listen to Sex Love Literature? It's a great show. <laughs> <laughs> Your plug is to just plug another show rather than yourself. <laughs> I don't, there's no, th- this is what I do. That's no. <laughs> on at some point. So, it's like you're plugging yourself. <laughs> and Wayne. I got nothing to do this week. I, I did that. Uh, I guess you hyped it up on the, the previous episode. Last Sunday, I was on a presentation about Sophie Show and the White Rose, uh, which is still available online, I believe. Uh, go to last week's notes, click on the link. <laughs> Absolutely. And as yeah. always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick show all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you can find out about what we're talking about next week and you can give us comments on this or any other show. You can give us suggestions. You can pitch yourself as a guest. Yeah, we just like hearing from you. If you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, helps other people find the show, and, you know, makes me happy. You could just write something here. I'll write one for you. Just go into iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and type, this is the grittiest show on the internet. I cannot believe they <laughs> killed Monica. Five stars. That's what I want. <laughs> I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought for Music for epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank Corinne for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.